Welcome back to the League Podcast, where we're coming to you live from the Brittany. Today, we're joined by a four-time league champ, second place all-time. Will this be the year he adds to his tally? He's lurked in the shadows all season long, never too low, never too high in the standings. Coming off of a week nine loss to Pat, we'll talk with Jason about the enigma of his team. Who are they really? And what's the secret to his success? You'll hear his thoughts on his team. We'll discuss an NFL storyline that's capturing his attention. And we'll open up our mailbag to hear questions from you, the listeners. Thanks for joining. Let's get started. Jason! Oh, man, that was so great. Uh, thank you for having me, and thank you for that uh, great introduction. I've been loving these introductions. Yeah, you're welcome. I find that like even with people having uh, listened to them, listened to, to other episodes, when they actually hear their episode is or their introduction is the first time where they're like, oh, this is life. Like, this is, this is about me right now. Oh, like, a thing is happening. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So thanks, man. Thanks for making the time uh, to be here, and... Uh, glad we could get you on the show. You are you are the tenth and final member uh, to really complete this series uh, of one on one uh, chats, and then we're gonna we're gonna get a little funky with it these last few weeks on the podcast. But glad we could get you in before um, before we we start shifting up the format. All right, um, let's get into it. Let's talk about your team. So you are sitting in fourth place right now. Yes, you are. What is it? Five and four. Uh, yes. Five and four. All mm-hmm. right. Um, so with a few weeks left in the season, uh, what's the story of your team at this point? Well, so far, I'm really liking how the first half of the season played out. But uh, maybe everyone feels like this all the time. I feel like my team is about to implode at any moment. Uh, and it's going to go horribly downhill for me. Um, that being said, uh, some of the folks that I've depended on, I wasn't expecting to uh, depend on. So that's been really great. Like Geno Smith, that was huge for me. Um, Picking him up on the waiver wire was probably the biggest thing I've done all season. Um, So that has helped, but there's been a lot of disappointment on my team. So, all right, let's, let's, um, let's get into it a little bit more. Obviously you didn't get to five and four by accident, right? Like you've been steadily chipping away, having, having big victories. Uh, You talked about Geno who, um, I think has arguably been the pickup of the year. Yeah, very sneakily too. Yeah. I didn't see that coming. And, and you know, he had his week one. I can't remember exactly what it was. Week one performance I think was pretty good. I'm not sure when he got picked up, whether it was week two or week three, but I feel there is always that person every year in our league that kind of like lingers an extra week longer than they should. Mm-hmm. And in hindsight, it looks perfectly clear um, that, you know, he should have been picked up right away or even drafted. And and this year, I think that has been Gino. Yeah. You know, and especially with the just ongoing, what it seems to be a situation for the entire league, the quarterback situation, um, you know, where it is now super obvious that you need a strong, dependable number three. Yeah. Uh, I mean, not, not even saying you need a strong number one and number two, which I also don't really have, but um, yeah, so, you know, I feel really lucky that I was able to pick him up on what I think was probably a deal, too. I wish I knew how much I paid for him. Yeah, very happy with that pickup. We can go back and, and check it out. Um, I know that 
your uh, QBs originally were Aaron Rodgers and Tannehill. Do you even recall who your <laughs> uh, who your third QB that you drafted? Uh, was? Yeah, it was uh, Jacoby Brissett. Good old Jacoby Brissett, who uh, I had one of the years that I won a championship. Um, I traded him to you, in fact. You sure did for uh, good old Alvin, who was doing amazing. And if I hadn't won a championship that year, that would have been just a real difficult trade to swallow uh, in later years. So that was really good, but I'm pretty sure I dropped him almost immediately. I think I dropped him so I could pick up Gino. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Thank goodness. Yep. 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. So Gino is a highlight. Um, Who else has been the highlight on your team this year? Uh, Definitely. It's got to be AJ Brown. Um, I mean, he has just done amazing. Like I was a little iffy on my wide receiver uh, uh, core. I still am, but he has done huge things for me. Um, So I'm very happy with him. Not to mention, uh, uh, Josh Jacobs, just yeah. by far. Josh Jacobs says, I'm so happy I drafted him. I mean, he has saved me from my disaster first pick. Uh, well, I mean, we can we can get right into that. So, uh, hey, Jason, who was your disaster first pick? Oh, thank you, Zach, for asking. <laughs> uh, so I was super excited when uh, Steve picked uh, Justin Herbert because then I could draft uh, Jonathan Taylor. Um, and he has done miserable this year. He has not done well at all. Um, and that was just a huge mistake for me. I decided to go with the like critics consensus number one pick instead yeah. of going for my gut and getting someone I love like Derrick Henry. Um, so I've been thinking about that a lot and how my season could have been different if I had gotten someone like Derrick Henry. Um, so that's just something I got to live with, uh, Jonathan Taylor. I'm hoping he comes on strong in the back end of the season, yeah. but, uh, I mean, it's just a huge question mark at this point. I mean, the Colts are just awful this year. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think the only thing worse, and I think we've all been there, the only thing worse than picking up someone in the first round who, who just flops for you is that week one, he was incredible. He was great. He had 32 points a week one. You're like, oh my God, am I going to win the championship? I was already talking shit to Steve about it. And uh, no, that just horribly went down. Um, for, okay, so there, there's been a little bit, a little bit of injury um, with, uh, with him, uh, with uh, Jonathan Taylor. I already forgot the guy's name. Uh, we all have. <laughs> a little bit of injury, but like, other than that, like, what's, what's been the deal there so far as you can tell? Uh, with what? With Jonathan Taylor, with, oh, that's I a have, very unexpected. I have no idea. Like, I I don't know if people kind of just like got an idea of who he is, and now defensive coordinators can like actively plan against him after yeah. they had a uh, off season to prepare. I don't know enough about the Colts team to say that it's an offensive line issue, or you know, it all starts with the the quarterback or whatnot. But I mean, regardless, it is just not what was advertised. Yeah, and this has been, you know, for the Colts, this has been a, re- I mean, obviously a really funky season. They just uh, fired Frank Reich, their coach. He he looked really good his first few years as a coach. They obviously couldn't get the QB situation right, but it seems like this is the year that it has all fallen to shit. Matt Ryan, who they acquired in the offseason, um, you know, injured, then benched, fired their coach, fired their offensive coordinator, uh, they hired. Uh, did you hear who they hired uh, as their replacement? <laughs> Jeff Saturday. <laughs> yeah, he was a center once on the team. Sure, he can be a head coach. Uh, not, uh, just yeah, I don't know how that's going to work. He has no experience, and this is just going to you know 
draw more heat on the whole uh, diversity issue where they're not hiring any uh you know coaches of color and instead yeah. hiring this guy with no coaching experience uh and it's just it's crazy doesn't look good it does not look good does not look good does not look good i don't even know who their quarterback is now uh it is sam ellinger uh who is a second year sixth round pick out of texas all right frankly that sounds made up <laughs> He uh, he's not been very good. Um, all right, other thoughts on your team, either uh, highlights or lowlights of the team or of the season in general. Uh, you know, I think uh, Ertz uh, tight end has been uh, a pleasant surprise. He's been doing decent now that he's on the Cardinals. I'm yeah. pretty happy about that. Uh, Debo Samuel, he was someone that I really wanted in the draft who I had last year, yeah. and I was just like, if I have to reach, I'm going to get him anyway because I really just like having him on my team. Yeah. So that was great. Uh, Deontay uh, Johnson, uh, wide receiver for Pittsburgh, has been non-existent. That's been weird. Just really weird. not great at all. Um, that's been a super disappointment. Uh, Hawkinson uh, has been uh, good. I'm hoping to get uh, that he gets better with the Vikings now. Yeah. Um, and, uh, Dallas, uh, defense I've been happy with, uh, as I was happy with them last year. So yeah. they were the defense that I targeted, um, and they happen to be available. So overall, like I'm pretty happy about it, but you know, I mean, then there's Aaron Rodgers who has, he was expected to be in my number one QB. He hasn't done like really anything spectacular. Yeah. Um, Aaron Jones has been, um, good, yeah. but inconsistent a little bit but uh he's he's doing okay um so overall you know i think i think i'm okay but it could just like i said just fall apart at any moment like, yeah i'm not looking forward to having to start ryan Tannehill. right right and and you know I, I think one theme that i'm hearing in what you're saying is um funky ecosystems of the of the teams that your players play on like the green bay ecosystem has just been weird like no one predicted that um, you yeah. know, Tampa Bay, even where, where you've got Chris, Chris Godwin, like it's just been like funky dynamics, uh, all year long. Ooh, but yeah, Chris Godwin though, I, w I picked him up late in the draft and I was really hoping that, you know, after coming off that big injury, uh, coming back and maybe being a late draft, like great pick. Yeah. Um, where he turns out to be, Oh, it turns out he's the number one wide receiver all along and that Tom Brady still got it. It's like, no, I mean. It's not exactly going to plan, but I still have hope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, so so I, I want to. Um, you've talked a little bit about your uh, intentionality when it came to uh, uh, drafting. You've you've got six waiver wire moves all year long, which is the second fewest mm -hmm. uh, after only Pat. So you've you're five and four. You're squarely in the playoff picture. Uh, you've picked up a lot of these guys. So clearly there was some sort of uh, plan that you had there and it's been working for the most part. What, what was your approach to the draft? Uh, well, my approach to the draft, at least for about maybe the past seven years or so, I like before that I used to do a lot of research, kind of like a lot of other people in this league. Then I kind of just stopped. Um, I now basically <laughs> only follow, as I've mentioned before, uh, projected points, the good old Yahoo projected points. Yep. <laughs> and uh, it seems to be working great. Uh, I'm very happy about how that works. And that way I don't have to basically do homework over yeah. the spring and summer. 
Um, that's good. Another thing I usually do um, in terms of every draft is I almost always go running back first pick, wide receiver second pick. Uh-huh. Uh, I think that's super important. Um, sometimes, you know, depending on if I think uh, a wide or a quarterback is worth it, maybe I'll uh, reach for them or not. But usually, it's it's running back followed by wide receiver. Um, beyond that, my draft strategy. There isn't any much to it. Um, you know, obviously keep kicker and defense as the last two picks. Yeah. When, when I see people do anything but that, it's just mind boggling. Um, because like, I mean, as it shows with my waiver wire pickups, like the waiver wire is usually just a wasteland um, where there is not a lot of good talent. Um, but also, you know, that those six pickups that I have, that doesn't mean I haven't tried to get more. Yeah. Uh, I also am horrible at uh determining value of a player and i try to just you know keep as much money as possible <laughs> and then i end up uh you know outside the playoffs with 150 dollars remaining i'm just like well <laughs> shit. you know that could have gone better but um you know that's why i was against auction drafts for years because i don't <laughs> i don't know the value of players monetarily so i, I see you right now um you've got the second most so we talked about second least waiver wire moves Second most budget uh, left with 177. I just figured you were, you were sitting there like ready to pounce uh, on you know spend big Ugh. money on on that on that you know that last star right before the playoffs. Well, usually there isn't that last star available. <laughs> like I mean the 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 waiver wire isn't like you know if I wanted to get uh, I mean what'd you say that quarterback's name for the Colts was Nathan Ensminger? Yeah, de- definitely. He's, yeah, like yeah, he's I, great. <laughs> I, you know, I don't, I don't need seven quarterbacks on my team. I'd like a decent third quarterback. Um, but yeah, you know, I've never been a big waiver wire. Usually, I like to just kind of go with what I have. Yeah. You know, fill in stuff as need be if someone's on a buy. But yeah, I usually don't go out on a hunt because I usually don't follow the NFL as much as other people do in terms of like new players available, death chart, that type of thing. Yeah. Um, so I'm not too worried about it. Yeah. And it sounds like that's an, that's an investment that, uh, issue for you. It's like, nah, I don't want to invest myself that much yeah. in order to like, you know, dig, dig that deep. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've had, I've done that some seasons and I've not done that other seasons and I see no difference in terms of where i end up in the standings yeah so i might as well you know have more free time yep 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 (laughs) yep um all right let's transition let's talk about the nfl whether it is something on the field or off the field what is one story that's really capturing your attention that you want to talk about more i mean there's only one story only one there's only one lay it on it's uh getting rid of dan snyder oh my gosh again you know i i am naturally a pessimistic person uh because that way i'm either right or surprised but i just i i've never been so optimistic about us finally getting rid of him i mean it has just been a we can call it a national nightmare uh, (laughs) a national nightmare since 1999 when he bought us at like he was what, like 34, 35, yeah. so younger than we are now. He yeah. bought the team that he loved and just ran it into the ground and doesn't seem to acknowledge running it into the ground. No. Um, no not to mention, oh, yeah, always somebody else's fault. It was always Vinny Serrata's fault. It was Bruce Allen's fault. It was Albert Hainsworth's fault. Um, really just not great. And then all of these other issues where, you know, the sexual harassment, the 
potentially keeping a second set of books. Yeah. Like, I mean, just, we are so close and, oh man, that would be the dream. That would be the dream to not have him as owner anymore. Yeah. And, and for all the issues that he's had, and it's almost been like there've been too many for any one of them to actually stand out as serious. I almost think of it as as like the last presidency here in the U.S. where it was like every day there was something. So you're actually like not sure which one is serious enough to latch onto. I like get that sort of vibe um, with Dan Snyder's uh, tenure. Um, I want I want to ask you a question here. I think my sense is one of these questions is going to have a very low number of uh, things to choose from. The other, a very high number of things to choose from. Mm. I'm going to go with highlight and low light of Dan Snyder's ownership of the Redskins. Oh, In your man. opinion, and you can start with either one, um, what is the highlight or the low light? And then we'll go with the other one. Oh, man. The highlight. Ooh, wow. <laughs> the highlight of Dan Snyder's ownership. Um, well, you know, it's trying to determine whether or not he had any say in it um you know like i mean even though we've been horrible majority of that time we did have what one two three four maybe five trips to the playoffs yeah but i feel like that was not because of him that was in spite of him yeah um so man highlights right (laughs) uh yeah no I, i nothing comes to mind and that's crazy like that is absurd i guess you know, originally building a FedEx field. No, he didn't even do that. He that didn't was do John that. He didn't do that. No, uh, <laughs> no, there's nothing, nothing good about this man. Any, mo- no, like that's, that's factual. Any moments for you as a fan over the past 20 years where you particularly remember as, um, as, you know, something to be excited about, oh. even if it was just for a moment. Oh man, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that really doesn't have anything to do with him. There's, there's been quite a few highlights and they're all, you know, playoff related. It was, um, that winning streak that Mark Brunel led us on uh, to get that push into the playoffs. Um, the same thing that Todd Collins, Todd Collins did yep. to get us into the playoffs in, I think, 07 maybe. Uh, and then the magical year of 2012 yeah. where, you know, that was RG3's only good season. Um, but, man, he did it in style. And Alfred Morris, you know, breaking the uh, rushing record for the franchise – uh, that was just amazing. And he broke it, uh, the final game, uh, regular season game of the season. And it was against the Cowboys who we beat and that win got us into the playoffs. I mean, that has to be it. It was arguably the greatest, uh, Redskins memory I have. Cause I, I don't really recall, uh, our last Super Bowl win and a lot of the other things have been, you know, just really kind of mediocre. That was probably the highlight of my fandom so far. Yeah. And to see it then just go so quickly downhill with RG3. Immediately. And, and yeah, there's another, like, thing that could have been, you know, it could have been uh, RG, well, I think it was a bunch of people, RG3, Dan Snyder, uh, uh, Shanahan, like, no matter what, that whole situation with his injury just was not handled well, and that just led to his downfall Man, 2012 was just amazing. I agree, man. I agree. And we thought, I remember, and I think you, Steve, and I were at that game. We sure were. And I think we were up in Mary's old uh, old seats, but like in my mind, I feel like we were in the fifth row. Like it just felt like being oh, yeah. that close. And like I remember Alfred Morris coming in and like 
scoring scoring a touchdown in our end zone, and I feel like we could like almost reach out, yeah, uh, and touch the guy. It was um, that was incredible. Yeah, it really kind of felt like how you used to read about those old RFK games. Uh, yeah. how they were described where it just felt like the fans were just on top of the field. Yeah, um, it, yeah, you're totally right. That that was just that was an amazing experience. And I think that speaks to like what you just said there that that old RFK feeling. Um, and us feeling it that day in FedEx Field, which is like an abysmal stadium. I think what that speaks to is like a feeling of closeness between fans and the team. Like you feel invested, you feel excited, you feel like they've got a shot every time they take the field. And I felt that in 2012 in, in a way that like, you know, with the exception of those, um, you know, late season playoff runs uh, that you referred to, I just never felt that like. More often than not, you show up to the stadium. It's that you know that crappy walk Ugh. from the metro, it, or you're paying forty bucks for uh, parking not for, included, <laughs> exactly, or you're paying for for a fourteen dollar Bud Light, and like you're just pissed off by the time you even get to your seats, and then like you know that it's only gonna get worse while you're uh, watching, and so you know as as opposed to like that feeling that we were just describing of like feeling so close. Uh, to the play, to the players, to the team, more often than not. And I, I, I don't know about you, I've just stopped going altogether. I, I like, won't even accept oh, uh, yeah. invitations. It's just not worth my time. Yeah, I can't even remember the last game I've been to. Now, you know, that being said, there was COVID and everything. But, you know, I guess I maybe went to a game in 2018 or 2019, but can't remember to save my life. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, you know, like, we're at a point now with Dan Snyder where, you know, over the past like few years where there's been this, a lot of this talk, you know, people will always bring up that saying where winning solves everything. I feel like we're now possibly at a point that we've been waiting to get to for a long time where I don't know if winning will solve anything. Um, you know, we could somehow miraculously go on a late run to, to push into the playoffs. Um, if this is the end game, I don't think that'll be enough to save Dan. Uh, uh, you're right, and I think it's also a little bit moot because we're not going to win. Because, because we're not going to. This team can't win, even when they last made the playoffs. It was a seven and nine record. <laughs> That's like, right, we did it. <laughs> the the weakest NFC East uh, uh, season that I can remember in recent history. Such that the the what were they? I can't remember. I, maybe they were the football team at that point. Um, oh, they were a seven and maybe. nine division winner. Um, okay, so. As good as that was, that moment was, and as many lowlights as you have to choose from, you just get one here. What is, in your opinion, just the the lowest of the low? Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> lowest of the low? Uh, man. That's a, that's a real rough question because then, you know, your mind just goes through that entire uh, – Dave McKenna article from like yep. a decade and a half ago um, where, you know, he's suing grandmas. He's cutting down national park trees. He's just doing all of this horrible stuff. Um, man, I would probably maybe uh, just all of the, all of the horrible player acquisitions. Um, it's hard to nail down just one, but we're talking like, all of like the quarterbacks over the past like decade have just been, well, I shouldn't say over the past decade, over the past, maybe five, six years, ever since Kirk left. Um, I mean, they have just been a disaster. And then there's Albert Hainsworth and it's just, um, I would probably say that is just the, 
large amounts of uh, money squandered on yeah. these over-the-hill players that get the biggest, you know, uh, contract in the history of the world. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's absurd. And it used to be said among league circles that if you want to get paid, you go to Washington. And <sighs> and you just, like, you, you, you put in your work elsewhere with other teams, play out your contract years, you know Washington is going to pay you, you know they're most likely going to... Uh, set a record for doing it. Albert Hainsworth, what, I think $100 million, six years. Adam Archuleta, to me, oh, might be the single worst man. acquisition. Five years, $25 million, so was benched by the eighth game. God, just, I mean, just so, so bad. Like, it's really just frustrating, you know? And, I mean, why was Donovan McNabb ever... On a Washington team. Not only that, but we also traded a second round pick for him and then gave him a new $70 million contract. Like, that's that's crazy. <laughs> and then we tried to do the exact same thing with Carson Wentz. Um, and it's just, I mean, I don't know, man. Shit's cray. Like, I'm just, I'm done with him treating our team like fantasy football. Yeah. And he's just really bad at fantasy football. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and for all, all the mistakes off the field within, you know, mismanagement, all, all that stuff, um, not to mention the just rampant sexual harassment yeah. scandal and investigation by Congress. I think it also just speaks to the way the league actually runs that, like, the only thing that might actually bring him down is failure to land the stadium and perhaps and potentially the the finance, you know, the financial improprieties keeping two record books. But like. Like at the end of yeah, I mean it's not the end yet, but like twenty plus years into it, with as just as depressing a tenure as it's been, it's actually going to be the fact I think that he just can't land the stadium, that no one wants to work with him. He is so toxic um, that the owners are like, oh yeah, we actually I guess we got to get rid of him. Totally. I mean, if he can't secure public funding, which is also just a huge issue uh, in the NFL now, but yeah, if he can't secure public funding for a stadium. I mean, you know, what is he even doing here? Uh, agreed. Agreed. Um, let us transition to the mailbag. I feel like we honestly could have like a special show with everyone hopping in and then just doing the Dan Snyder roundtable. I, I feel like oh. maybe we're not quite done uh, with that. But um, in the interest of getting to some of these um, questions here. All right. First question from the mailbag. I remember a time when Doug Williams wished you happy birthday and he predicted how you'd kick our behinds the next season. If you could get a response to him, and we can't, but whatever, what message would you want to give back to Doug Tershaw? Uh, well, you know, I was actually thinking about that earlier, um, but also just because he knows how much I don't like uh, Dan Snyder. Yeah. And uh, he somewhat agreed with me. Um, so that was awesome. Uh, you know, I, I can't remember exactly when that was, if that was last year or the year before. Yeah, it was like pre-COVID. It was birthday pre-COVID. It was pre-COVID. Pre yeah. Uh, or what was it? You're still in your old place, at least. Yeah, I, I was definitely that. still in my old place. Um, you know, but uh, uh, you know, I uh, I'm not sure exactly what I would tell him because I feel like since then I've lost a championship, uh, and it might have been that year, but I've also ended up in like you know eighth place, sixth place. Uh. No, I really wouldn't have any updates uh, to tell him. Uh, I would probably, again, tell him uh, how much I hate Dan Snyder um, and uh, see if we could build a rapport off of that. I really wonder how those old heads, particularly ones who have 
had continued involvement with the team like like Doug Williams has, um, you know, I know in 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 some respect they're getting paid, right? They're on the payroll. They got to appreciate that. In some respect, they're getting to still live out some glory, right? You, you get FaceTime, I imagine, as a player who you know came up being really famous in college, uh, in pros. Obviously, Doug Williams won uh, a Super Bowl. Some players, I think, just want to hang on to that. Like, I just, I would love to be a fly on the wall of uh, a conversation between him, Joe Theismann, and and some of those other old heads about like once Danny leaves the room, like what it's actually like. Sure, but you know, at that same type of uh, point, you know, it's also really sad how they are treating some alumni as well as a franchise. Whether it's yeah, doing that. Uh, you know, Sean Taylor uh, tribute next to the Porter Potties yeah. or spelling Mark Mosley's name yeah. wrong. Like, yeah. it's the attention to detail yeah. that is just severely lacking with this franchise for a whole bunch of different things. But I think that uh, is definitely apparent, too, with alumni relations. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I hope that it gets better. Um, we have a lot of great alumni over the yeah decades and everything but uh i wouldn't be surprised if some of them are walking away too so yeah i heard recently chris cooley when asked if he wanted to participate in whatever sham of an alumni uh sort of commemoration they had at the beginning of the year I was like no nah, i'm i'm good thanks. i'm good man thanks <laughs> um all right next one here we got uh, one one maybe two more here um last week zach talked about rooting for tim biak batuka uh, do you have an early memory of the first fantasy player you remember rooting for outside the Redskins? Uh, ooh, man. Um, no. <laughs> not, not particularly. Uh, my memory is shit. Um, I guess probably the one that goes back the most, uh, most of them would probably be Virginia Tech related. Yeah. Um, you know, if I'm not going to find uh, a connection via my actual NFL franchise, I'll go through – yeah. You know, my players that I supported in college. So I always thought I was being super sneaky by picking up Tyrod Taylor. Um, you know, when he was like, oh, he's a starter, but no one's really picking him. Or, you know, uh, Eddie Royal back in the day. Or my uh, amazing success with uh, uh, Mike Vick when he was that amazing year on the Eagles. Yeah, um, did have him. I think that was the year I won the championship, and I think it was behind him. So. Yeah. Yeah, you know, usually there's got to be some sort of emotional attachment for me to, to actually remember the player. Um, so, yeah, if it's, of course, for the longest time, you know, I would also purposefully not choose any players uh, from the NFC East yeah. because I didn't want any type of loyalty stuff to come into question. So I would refrain from choosing Redskins, but also Cowboys, Giants, and Eagles just yeah. because I wanted those games to be pure when I watched yeah. them. Um, yeah. Nowadays, can't really do that. Can't really just, you know, fully <laughs> omit an entire division right. uh, from <laughs> your choices because you're not going to win. You're not going to win games. Out. Yeah, I did the same thing. And I also didn't win, like not coincidentally, I'm sure did not win any championships during that span where I had that no NFC East uh, policy other than Redskins player. Totally. Yeah, that was a that was a bad decision. Um, Jason, here's the, here's the last question. Um, I'm, I'm mindful of time, but I feel like we got to get this one in because you... You've won four championships and lost three. You've won so okay. So even losing <laughs> three means you've made it to the final game. You've obviously had a, you know an unprecedented run. Um, you know only Stevo's got got more championships Ugh. than you, but you've had a lot of success here. And I think that's where this question is coming from. Um, 
And it can be just first, let's say, two, three, four players that uh, come to mind. But who is on your Mount Rushmore of favorite players you've ever had? On your oh, man. Team? Wow. Uh, well, it'll be, uh, again, that Mike Vick for yeah. that incredible year. Yeah. Uh, Derek Henry. Uh, he was incredible, yes. I guess. Did I have him last year? I feel like it might have even been last year. Last uh, year, Brendan had him. He got injured, but it might have been uh, the year before two, that. Yeah, two years ago then. Yeah. Um, that was amazing. Uh, then it'll probably be uh, – I was big into Adrian Peterson uh, when I had him uh, during one of my championship runs. Uh, but then I was kind of – trying to figure out who to choose between Adrian Peterson and Chris Johnson that one year. And I did a coin flip and I was all proud of that coin flip. <laughs> um, I would then say also I was a big Todd Gurley fan. Yes. Uh, I was a Gurley man for quite a while. Uh, he was great. Um, so, you know, in terms of Mount Rushmore, uh, some of those players, Oh, uh, obviously it's gotta be, um, Oh, what's his name? Uh, he was wide receiver for the Patriots. And he had like 22 touchdowns. Did you have Randy Moss? I had Randy Moss during his breakout year. Holy shit! Uh, that I think that won me a championship. So I would say I would say Mike Vick for that uh, year with the Eagles. Um, uh, Derrick Henry and uh, who did you just mention? Randy Moss. Randy Moss. So I can never remember. That's a I always forget. Uh, he was awesome. That's and amazing. Some random person to throw in the future. I'll yeah, that's fair. That's great. That's great. That's great. Um, all right. We're um, we're just about out of time here. Um, we're doing a little preview of this upcoming week. You are playing Matt. Matt is currently third place. So it's a third, fourth uh, matchup. Bold prediction to close us out here. What do you got? Uh, well, the bold prediction, uh, it doesn't really seem that bold. It seems like everyone else is saying it, but uh, I guess I'll kind of keep it less narrow. I think we're going to have a champion this year that has never won a championship before. Um, but again, that just kind of goes with, you know, Luke and uh, Raph that everyone's talking about. Uh, I also think Pat has a chance. Um, his team is kind of just tricky, good and kind of unsuspecting. Um, it wasn't great to lose to him. Um, yeah. I would say one of them is going to win it or possibly, um, a few of the other folks that only have one championship. So we're talking either Matt or Anthony. Yeah. I think that the people that have multiple championships right now are going to be shut out of the championship game. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. I like that. Well, I don't like it, but uh, yeah. <laughs> as a prediction, uh, I like that. The only person that might squeak in is me because I'm great. No doubt. No um, doubt. But beyond that, I'm thinking it's going to be a championship for uh, someone who only has one or a newcomer. And it's going to be awesome. I like it, man. Jason, thanks for making the time. I had a lot of fun. Hey, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it.